following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So here's my opening question for you. Um, and I would like you to shout out answers. One or two words, please, and uh, no, no Greek scholarship, because that's my job, okay? <laughs> what comes to mind in one or two words with no Greek scholarship when you hear the word repent? Turn around. Turn around. Ooh, there's some church kids. What else? <laughs> Sin? Salvation Army Bands. Oh, I think I need to have a conversation with you. <laughs> what else? I heard something out here. Change of mind. Oh, change of mind. Uh, we'll save that for later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Getting saved. Getting saved. There we go. Yes. Saved from what? Nobody wants to say. So I did a uh, Google image search for the word repent, and I wanted to show you the results here. So uh, let's just describe some of what we see here, because there will be a podcast of this, and if, if you can't see it for any reason, I'll describe some of what we see. There's some uh, U-turn signs. So somebody said, turn around. There you go. There it is. Um, I like this blue one. I don't actually like it very much, but this blue one that says two arrows, one pointing this way, it says repent, one pointing the opposite way, opposite way it says perish. We see uh, a lot of sad-looking white people earnestly praying. <laughs> right? I mean, am I wrong about that? Um, we see how to repent the right way. Right is in all caps and underlined. Uh, we see repent and believe, uh, which is actually what Jesus said in the gospel reading that we just heard. I, I think you noticed, probably. I don't know if you can see it very well, but there is a sign on there that says uh, five-step process for repentance. And if you were to zoom in and look closely, you would see that three of the five steps are basically admit that you are a sinner. Um, and I have to say, this is the um, mild version, like this is the safe search version was turned on for this. The spicy version of this would have um, people holding signs that say things about hell and um, pictures of fire and flames and fiery flames. And, and like all of them say, good news, right? So if you grew up as I did in the evangelical world, this all sounds familiar to you. Uh, good news, you're headed for hell, right? I mean, that's how evangelism starts. I took evangelism courses in high school and college and seminary, um, five steps or three steps to get saved, right? you won't believe number two, <laughs> and the number of sermons that I heard that squared with what the two of you both said uh, as one, that basically said the word repent means to turn away or turn around. And those sermons always seem to go on to explain that the specific things you had to turn away from or turn around away from were um, like secular music or worldly pursuits, which is a, a catch-all word that can mean whatever the youth pastor wants it to mean, um, or maybe a fairly bog-standard adolescent experience of sexuality or, 
or, or. And the entire experience of Christian formation in, in some settings, like summer camps and things like that, is basically centered around the idea that everything you are doing and have done and are is wrong, and you need to make a 180-degree turn away from that um, toward Jesus. The implication, of course, being that everything you're doing is, is pointed away from Jesus, and only by changing it all can you actually be facing him. Now, as with most things that kind of get leveraged and used to scare people into conversion or to manipulate them into behavior, there are kernels of truth and biblical source material for all of that. And if you've been paying close attention to the readings for the day, you'll have noticed that repentance is a concept that seems sort of woven into our lectionary readings. Um, and so I want to spend some time with that. This is one of the reasons I love the lectionary, by the way. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily remember to give a whole sermon about repentance <laughs> if it didn't put these texts in front of me. This is what the readings are about. This is what the sermon is about. So let's start with the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is a story that most people know part of and almost no one knows all of. Right? What's the part that everybody knows about? The whale, right? Or as the text usually says, a great fish. right? And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for how long? Three days, right? Later in the New Testament... There's a reference to Jesus being in the tomb for three days uh, and refers back to Jonah. Um, <clears throat> what you might not know is the setup to that story, and what you almost definitely don't know is what comes after that story. But the setup is this, briefly. God told Jonah to go preach repentance to the Ninevites. And by the way, every time I typed Ninevites into my computer, it tried to autocorrect to the 90s, which is, <laughs> I mean, it is the, the best decade, so... Um, <laughs> these Ninevites, the, we'll just call them the 90s people now, they were understand to be the worst kind of pagans. Right? They were Gentiles. They were outside the family of God as defined by uh, the people of, of Abraham. Right? Um, and so God calls the Hebrew prophet Jonah to go and tell them to turn away from their evil doings or else. It's one of the only times, by the way, in the Hebrew Bible that the prophet of Israel turned the call to repentance outward, away from their community, to others. Almost always the prophets of Israel are turning their critique inward, to their own communities, um, lambasting the kings or the priests or other prophets. They had like these, these um, prophetic rap battles with each other sometimes. But they we're almost always offering this critique to the people of Israel, and it usually took the form of something like, you all should know better. Why are you acting this way? Do the thing you know you're supposed to do. It's written in our scriptures. It's, it's etched into our tradition. Right? This is one of the few times when the prophet goes outside the community, gets sent to the Ninevites to call them to change their ways. But Jonah didn't want to go. And he decided instead to take a vacation in the Spanish countryside. 
and he chartered a boat, or he signed on to a boat, um, and God was displeased with that and caused this great storm to come, and the whole boat's about to sink, and all the people are lamenting and saying, what's going on? And, you know, in, the, in those days, every bad thing that happened was because some other thing had triggered it, which isn't actually true, but it seems like in the story uh, that, that it was true in this case. And Jonah says, it's my fault. I didn't do what God told me to do. You should probably just throw me overboard. And they're like, okay, let's do that. And he's like, it was a metaphor. Splash. Right? The fish comes along and swallows him up. Three days later, spits him out onto solid ground. And that's where the reading resumes from today. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. And then he does it, and they change their ways. And do you know how happy he was? He was not happy. He was negative happy. After God decides that he's not going to smite them, uh, the very first verse in chapter 4 says, but this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. <laughs> right? And it's like the dog who caught the car. Um, hellfire and brimstone preachers are not, <laughs> like they're out of work if everybody converts. So they move the goalposts and say, well, now you have to really convert. But then... After, they, after they, were, they, they change their ways, they turn around. There's actually a different word there for turn around. But, um, one of the most incredible verses that I think, anyway, in the whole Bible comes up. This is Jonah 3, verse 10. And if you think I'm making it up, you can look it up. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God changed his mind? Any other church kids in the room who were taught that God is immutable, unchangeable? Right? That God's will is perfect the first time and God doesn't make mistakes and God's mind is not something that gets changed. Except that in this story right there in the pages of the Bible, it does. Now, the idea that God's mind could be changed is seriously enough for a whole month of sermons. And I, I have preached versions of that before. I will probably again, but I'm not going to dwell on the God changed God's mind thing just now. Because wait, there's more. If you look at Jonah 3.10 in the ancient languages, what it actually says is not God changed his mind, but that God repented. Right? Now, you don't have to be a, a Greek scholar, and I'm certainly not, but I do have it here in Greek. Now, this is a Hebrew Bible text, um, but the apostles and Jesus himself all read those stories in Greek because they were in this Greco-Roman culture, right, by the time the New Testament stories come around. And right here, the word that is used about God is the same word that is translated everywhere else as repent. 
So why did the translators decide, in most cases, to say, instead of God repented, that God changed his mind? Well, there's two reasons. One, because they want to avoid the idea that God repents. <laughs> it complicates our understanding. And that's fine, actually. As a translation decision, that's fine. Because we all have a meaning that has sort of been baked into our minds about what repentance is. And we do not want it to go uh, on God's plate. Right? But the other reason is that that's actually what the word means. That's actually what the word repent means. And someone back there has heard me give a version of this sermon before. Ooh or came in with this knowledge, and I'm proud of you, either way, that what repentance actually is, is a changing of the mind. Now, I try not to force too much Greek stuff uh, on you, but this one is so good and so easy. It's actually just a simple compound word, metanoia. Meta meaning change, noia meaning uh, mind. So repentance is metanoia, change, mind. Repent and believe. Change your mind and believe. And I have to say, um, this realization about what repentance means linguistically is one of the biggest changes in my entire experience of Christian faith as a, a basically lifelong believer. When this landed with me, so much changed for me. <laughs> because you can hear the, the Turner Burn repentance sermon in a thousand American churches every Sunday. And honestly, we probably sometimes need to hear something like that probably wouldn't choose to give the version of it that I heard most often in my own um, adolescence especially, like at summer camps and stuff. But that Turner Burn sermon about repentance, here's what I would say about it. I think that's the wide road. And Jesus says that the way is actually narrow and very few people find it. And to me, the idea that repentance um, means changing your mindset has put me on what I feel like is actually the narrow road to a deeper understanding of my own faith, and it has changed almost everything for me. And here's the thing. Nearly all of the passages that preachers will use to point you in that turn-or-burn direction, not all, but almost all of them, can be better understood, in my opinion, as pointing us toward a completely new way of thinking. Romans 12. How many of you heard a sermon on this one? Do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And the, the, the slight mistake, which turns out to be the everything mistake that is often made with a text like that, is to say, do not be conformed to the ways of the world. Instead, change your behavior to act in a way that is holy. And who gets to define what that is? The person with the microphone. 
But what it actually says is don't be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed. And how are you transformed? It's actually not by the behavioral changes, although those are due to come. It's by the renewing of your mind. Or how about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? I've been listening to this, uh, to the Gospel of Matthew on my way back and forth to, to my weekday job. Um, and I'm listening to it in a, uh, an app called Her Bible. And it's, it's the Bible being read in the voices of, of women. Uh, this was an assignment that I was given as an, uh, part of a, a cohort experience that I'm having. Uh, I was in San Diego last week to kick this off with a group of about 10 or 12 other uh, people kind of like me. This is specifically targeted toward dominant culture males entering the second stage of life, which is a way of saying middle-aged white dudes. <laughs> and uh, most of us middle-aged white dudes have some work to do. And so this cohort is designed to uh, help us all kind of reframe how we understand influence and power and exert those things in our, in our world. And so one of the things we're doing together as a group is listening to the Bible read by women. Um, which I told you all that because I think it's really cool and I, and I want you to ask me how that's going from time to time because I, I expect this to be a transformational experience for me. But to the point of the sermon, I've been listening to the Gospel of Matthew and I've heard the Sermon on the Mount this week being read in the voice of a woman. And when he says, you've heard it said this way, but I say it to you this way, that is a change of mindset. You used to think about it this way. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is only fair. But no. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other one to them also. Jesus also teaches that we should not put new wine into old wineskins. Because those old wineskins cannot handle the fermentation of the Holy Spirit, and they will burst and make a big mess. You have to have a new mindset to contain the work of the Holy Spirit. And that came true in some big ways in the story of the early church. So many of the things that they thought were how God intended always to do things turned out to be not the way that God was going to do things going forward, and maybe wasn't the way God wanted to do things in the first place. They had to have a Mindset change. They need new wineskins to contain the work, the effervescent work of the Holy Spirit. The Beatitudes. The, the blessed are you. Blessed are those who are your blessed if you, depending on how it's translated. All of that stuff is mindset change. You think that the people who are powerful are the ones who are blessed. Jesus says, you're blessed if you're meek. You're blessed if you're merciful. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're blessed if you are in mourning. In the Gospel of Mark that we heard read today, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. And then as he's calling his disciples, he says, follow me, you fishermen, and I will make you fish for people. And I got to thinking, what if our understanding of evangelism became a new way of calling people to repentance? It was where, where it's no longer about first identifying the sinful behaviors. 
and warning them about the consequences of those, both temporal and eternal. But instead, showing them how broken the systems of the world are, how they're part of those systems and sometimes benefit from them, how the, the ways of the world are passing away, as it says in 1 Corinthians 7, which is one of the lectionary passages that we didn't get to read today. And all of those things being true, what happens to, to, to fix that is not that you suddenly become a saint in your behavioral patterns, but your mindset changes, your way of understanding uh, transforms, and you begin to see everything differently. And what turns out to be true is that that is a much better foundation. It's a much better scaffolding on which you can work at the behaviors in your life that are harmful to you or to other people. Because let's not just toss that out altogether. We each of us have some things that we do that are harmful to ourselves and to other people. But starting with that, emphasizing first and foremost and above all people's brokenness or failure is not what I see as a biblical uh, understanding of repentance. Whenever I start thinking about this idea, and whenever I'm reminded of this linguistic fact about the word repent, that it means to change your mind, that the Greek word is metanoia, it almost always brings me to another uh, word, this one, uh, one that has made its way intact to English, that has a meta prefix. Can you think of an English word that starts with meta? Almost all of you said the one that I have in mind. There might be others. Metamorphosis, which is a change in form, right? Metamorphos. It's a change in a bodily form. And when I start thinking about metamorphosis, there's lots of versions of it in the animal kingdom, but the one that I think of is uh, the transformation from caterpillar to butterfly. And so earlier, I showed you a screenshot of an Google image search for repentance. I want to show you a screenshot, or, or a photograph rather, of the, uh, the metamorphosis cycle for a monarch butterfly. And I'm going to ask Kirk to leave that up for the rest of the sermon, which is n not that much longer for those of you who are wondering. <laughs> Some of you have seen this up close in your, in your house. Maybe uh, if you have kids or if you, if you um, are a teacher, you've done this probably sometimes if, with certain age groups. It's very common. But you see, um, for those who, who aren't able to see the image, it starts with um, the caterpillar hanging on a stick, right, starting to curl up. And then next is that beautiful kind of um, jade green chrysalis, brand new and shiny. And I don't remember how long it stays like that. But eventually it becomes more translucent and you can start to see the form of the butterfly. And then the butterfly begins to break out and emerge from it. And the chrysalis is just this shell that's left behind. But the butterfly hangs there. And in this case, the butterfly is seen in the last four images. First all bunched up and then gradually expanding. And if, what you know about this, if you know about this, what you know is that the, the wings are 
kind of wet and they, they can't fly yet. And they gradually dry out in the sun. And eventually they become fully spread and the butterfly flies away. And this is so beautiful, but it's also so, so hard. If transformation were easy, everybody would do it. And have you looked around the world lately and seen it in need of so much more transformation? Have you looked at yourself perhaps recently and thought, oh, I'd like to invite you to think about this image, this metamorphosis cycle of a butterfly as a metaphor or even an allegory for your own spiritual transformation. What you might now feel comfortable calling repentance. And here's the thing about this kind of change in the way we use language. Based on what a lot of you shared at the very beginning of the sermon, the word repentance has taken on a very ugly and painful feeling for, for most of you. I hope and pray that this time has given you the, the possibility of redeeming it, of recycling it, of, of upcycling it into something that you can use and find beneficial to yourself. But if this is a metaphor for spiritual transformation, if this is a metaphor for what we understand repentance to be, uh, the changing of our minds, the, the, the renewal of our minds, the transformation of our souls as a result... What is true about that must be that you have to give up a lot of who you understand yourself to be. This is what makes it hard. You're not going to be a caterpillar when you're done. You have to wait there, helpless. Listen, as soon as that caterpillar commits to spinning that chrysalis, it becomes vulnerable. And, and I'm, I'm not like a a biology expert, but one thing I do know, and some of you have heard me say this before, is that if you cut open a chrysalis, you do not find a caterpillar or a butterfly or something in between. You find mush. You find goo. And if you're going to get from A to Z, you might find that you are sort of spiritually gooey for a little while. And that is much less comfortable than being a simple caterpillar or a beautiful butterfly. And then when you finally make the transformation and you begin to feel like maybe it's safe to emerge and show yourself to the world, you have to hang there vulnerable, maybe for a whole long day. And remember, a day is a much larger percentage of a butterfly's life than it is of ours. Waiting for the sun to dry out your wings. And guess what happens to some of those butterflies? They become a bird snack. These, these um, analogies are not perfect, by the way. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's going to be a giant bird that comes and eats your soul. That's not what I'm saying. That would be going way back to the other understanding. We don't want to do that. But you do have to break out of that chrysalis and take some time to spread your wings. And it can be uncomfortable and it can put you at some risk. Right? Because a lot of people have a deep investment in the caterpillar you used to be. Can I say that again? There's a lot of people in your life who have a deep investment 
in the caterpillar that you used to be. And they don't want you to be a butterfly. Listen, I'm a parent. I get it. We have dreams for our children. They don't always come true in the way that we think they will. <laughs> That's like the baby version of uh, Sing It Sister or uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but as speaking as a parent, the, I, I'm so happy and proud of the butterfly version, right? When you kind of let go of your own expectations on your kids and allow them to become who they are going to be, you're like, whoa, that's so much better. <laughs> so my question for you is this. I want you to look at this image right now, um, and if you're not able to see it or if you're listening on the podcast, just remember this process from the caterpillar on the stick into the chrysalis into starting to emerge into eventually being a butterfly. And all of the, all of the vulnerability and all of the uncomfortable transformation that happens along the way, I want you to look at this image or imagine it and think of it as a, an, a, a chart of your spiritual progress, of your own transformation, and, and, and decide for yourself, where are you in this process? Maybe you're kind of hanging on the stick after you've come out of the chrysalis and you don't actually know anything about what's next. You don't even know how to be a butterfly. All you know is you're thirsty. <laughs> Maybe you're just crawling along that stick as the caterpillar and you're not even sure you're ready for this. Maybe you're like, I am not coming back here again. Maybe you're in the chrysalis and you've turned to goo and you don't know what you are anymore. And you kind of wish you could go back, but it's too late. The one thing the caterpillar cannot do after it turns to mush is become a caterpillar again. Maybe you're not even on the stick at all. Where are you now? And where do you want to be? Maybe more to the point, where do you think God is calling you? To be. What do you think God is calling you to be? What are the changes that have happened in your mind? How can you stop fighting against them? Because, listen, once they happen, they have happened. But instead, allow them to feel less like um, getting yanked somewhere and more like the fermentation of the Holy Spirit into the wineskin that you are. Now I've mixed my metaphors. I wonder if you could consider this reflection to be a call to repentance. Not the kind that maybe you've heard before. Because that's not what today is. I might give you the shouty, you need to change your behavior sermon sometime. But that's not what today is. Today's call to repentance is where are you on this picture? Where are you supposed to be? And what hasn't changed yet that needs to change to get you there? I'm going to invite you to take a moment of quiet reflection before I invite you to communion to ponder that question. Put yourself on the picture where you are and where you want to be.
For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.